This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you. So uh, today, um, I know uh, David is having some back trouble, and maybe it's out of sympathy, but a few minutes ago, I started having back trouble. <laughs> so, uh, perhaps one of the mysteries of Sangha living. Anyway, it's not too bad. Uh, also, uh, there were uh, some intimations of migraine this morning. So this could be one of those days it might have been better not to get up for. But there it is. We'd, we'd like to, um, after the talk, have, have a very short ceremony. And, and we hope you will stay. It's uh, Dogen's birthday. Tyson was kind enough to buy us a cupcake that we can present, and, uh, and we'll we'll chant the the uh, harmony of difference and equality, and uh, that'll be that. So please uh, please stay with us if you can. Well, thank you. I'd rather not look at the big picture of me. So thank you. That's good. When uh, Dr. Jiva Chandra also looks rather monastic, he's <laughs> wrapped up. That's looks very cozy. Uh, as I was uh, coming into the zendo to to do my bows, I uh, I noticed that. I was uh, walking in this way that I was uh, taught. Um, I don't know if they teach that sort of thing anymore, but um, there's a way of uh, planting the foot so that there's basically no sound, except possibly some friction with the floor, whatever it happens to be. Pretty much, you put the ball of the foot down first. And usually, the way we walk is with the heel first. Uh, and uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly now whether I was taught that first for the zendo or for tea ceremony. But um, this is the sort of uh, detail. that um, undergirds the practice of Zazen, which of course our birthday boy um, taught us about.
of the misinterpretations of Buddha Dharma that I think uh, Dogen was, was quite clear about, but sometimes you, you hear people think that we don't exist. Or if we do, we should somehow get rid of that. So we should be clear also as, as Dharma students that it's not that we don't exist. It's that we don't exist in a way that requires the elaborate ontological defenses we have developed over eons. And that is maybe some would say a distinction without a difference, but I would say, no, it's critically important to understand that properly. So how do we, um, how do we relate to such a teaching without it becoming a, um, you know, just a, a creed. It's just something that, you know, a list of things that Buddhists believe, so we have to believe that. But of course, that was never Buddha's intention. And I think Dogen was pretty clear about that too. So I, I have not been um, impressed with various uh, projects I've heard about to uh, dismantle, you know, the person and uh, jettison some parts of it so that one can uh, uh, be in the world as this um, kind of uh, luminous being that everyone else would be very impressed by because, oh, they say, well, see, that person over there has no ego. It's like, wow, how did they do that? Well, they did such and such a practice and they dismantled their ego. Now they don't have one. Like, oh, I see. Well, uh, I actually haven't really associated with persons who made that claim in, in my own um, spiritual life. So I, I, you know, I don't want to uh, disparage anybody. But if you wish to meet someone with no ego, you can visit any one of a number of um, institutions for the um, incapacitated, shall we say. You can find some people there with no ego, at least no functioning ego. And that should demonstrate to you that, oh, no, that's not what Buddha meant at all. 
However, we do have uh, these uh, elaborate setups, you know. I, uh, been uh, wasting a fair amount of time uh, being seduced by the uh, YouTube universe uh, to which Brother Cato introduced me and it has irresistible fascination. And lately I've been virtually visiting uh, medieval fortresses, the ones that remain that is. And they have, you know, all of these elaborate defenses. Uh, you know, there's the moat and the drawbridge and the portcullis and the arrow slits and the battlements for pouring boiling oil on people. And those very clever spiral staircases, which if you're attacking, you have to attack with your left hand which uh, is, is a uh, problem for a lot of attackers. Whereas the defenders upstairs, they can use their right hands. So we have um, various defenses that we have also constructed. But sort of the main one is this notion that in the middle of the fortress is someone who needs to be defended. You know, the, I don't know, king or queen or duke or duchess or somebody is in there and needs defending. So, uh, Ancestor Dogen said, well, how about this? Why don't we sit down, sit very still, you know, get, get comfortable and balanced, and uh, in a kind of unprejudicial way, try to see who is actually there. to see who is actually there. And lately, I've been, uh, I've been talking about that instruction in terms of following the stream to the source. Some of you have uh, been to a recent Dharma talk maybe where I, I mentioned that. So that's another way of saying, be still and just you know, without uh, you know, saddling yourself with some kind of project, just kind of very easily just watch for who's there. And if you, uh, If you uh, do this wholeheartedly, meaning you kind of 
bring all of your resources, invite them all to be present. You will um, you will uh, you will kind of um, erode the foundations of the um, you know the ten you heard of the ten samyojanas, the ten fetters. that uh, bind up the project of you know, the, the contingent self, the dependent self. And uh, you may recall, as I've said before, all you have to do is uh, cut through three of them and you will um, become what uh, Buddhists used to call a stream enterer. And as a stream enterer, as you probably remember, you only have at most seven rebirths before you will be completely liberated. That's pretty good, only seven. Considering how many you have already had. And the first fetter is the one that is most uh, potently affected by the simple practice of sitting and watching who's there. And the first fetter, anybody remember? Number one. Almost sounds like it should be number 10, but no, it's number one. Nobody? Oh dear. Well, the number one is, in Sanskrit is satkaya drishti or the, uh, the view of a permanent self. That view will be eroded by the practice of Zazen. To the point where you will no longer trust your assumption that there is a uh, there's someone who is you know permanently here. No, I'm I'm kind of speaking of this as though we're in the future, but I I know that um, maybe all of you have um, already adopted this practice, and therefore. For each of you, satkaya dristi is uh, being eroded. Mm. 
And compared to that, the other two of this trio, the first three, are, you know, seem like not such a big deal. So probably if nobody remembers number one, they won't remember two or three either. But anyway, two is, um, sometimes the lists differ a little bit, but I, I say two is, um, is called Shila Vrata Paramarsha in Sanskrit, which means uh, relying on you know, symbolic acts and religious promises as the gateway of liberation. So, in other words, if you just you just go and you know. Uh, offer incense 5,000 times or something. And then automatically you will be liberated. And Buddha said, that's not going to work. So all y'all who are faithfully attending these enormous uh, Brahmanical sacrifices back in his day, if you think that's going to, uh, you know, blow open the gates of samsara for you, you're wrong. So don't do that. And then the third one, which I've talked about many times, is anybody? Sanskrit is vichikitsa. Anybody remember that one? Oh dear. How about corrosive doubt? Does that ring any bells? Ah, okay. Yeah. Vichikitsa uh, is the um, the uh, kind of uh, sneering, snarling doubt that um, basically will make it impossible to practice. This corrosive, dismissive doubt, which is not based on anything but certain a priori notions about reality and bad temper. That's really it. There's nothing to it. So, your practice of the Buddha way will address these three fetters such that sooner or later you will enter the stream. And uh, once you do that, there you will remain. There's no going back to the hopeless life of the sentient being who has never heard of Buddha Dharma. That's a pretty good deal. And really, all we have to do is wholeheartedly sit there and try to see who it is. Follow the stream to the source and sit there and watch who it is.
So we have our first Aigoi, Eihei Dogen, to thank for this remarkable insight into Buddha Dharma. We're, um, you know, we're contemplating our uh, our next study text for our study hour, and uh, I think uh, you know the votes in favor of Dogen are kind of accumulating. So I'm I'm sorry if. Well, first of all, not all of you come to study hour. I understand that. But if some of you do come to study hour, are, are, you know, if you feel despair at the thought of studying Dogen again, I, I understand, but I really think, you know, it'd be worth the effort. And he was pretty much a genius after all. You, um, maybe you remember the uh, beginning of his seminal essay, Actualizing the Fundamental Point. That first section is a magnificent summary of Buddha Dharma. You see, maybe I don't remember it. You know, that's the one that goes, as, uh, what is it? As all things are Buddha Dharma. Remember that? There is, uh, how does it go? As all things are Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, birth and death, Buddhas and sentient beings. That's uh, phase one. Then, uh, let's see, phase two is, uh, as the myriad things are without abiding self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddhas, no sentient beings, no birth and death. See, then there's phase three, which is uh, Buddha's way is basically uh, leaping free of one and many. Uh, therefore, There is delusion, realization, birth and death, sentient beings, and Buddhas. 
here's uh, like the footnote. Where he says, however, Flowers fall with our attachment. And weeds spring up with our aversion. So there it is, a, a Reader's Digest summary of Buddha Dharma, which I recommend everyone memorize and uh, recite it to yourself as you wander through your day. That is as a succinct, a rendition of Buddhist teaching as I have ever heard. Of course, you can be much more elaborate. And uh, well, I guess sometimes that's helpful. So that's just the beginning of one essay of which he wrote, I don't know, in excess of 100, plus hundreds more little talks he gave to his assembly. But still, it all kind of comes back to that little, uh, little section there. And he recommends the uh, posture of just sitting as the perfect vantage point to see the truth of that. So basically, that's why we're giving Dogen a cupcake today. Uh, thanking him for uh, being born and um, if he has been reborn someplace nearby, we'd like him to come and visit again, or at least I would. I don't, uh, I don't have much opportunity to, um, for instance, teach people how to walk. That requires a, um, I, I realized too late, a very kind of a very particular environment. kind of like a tea room, tea ceremony, 
kind of like that, where it's possible to be let's see, either intimately respectful or respectfully intimate in such a way that uh, people will be um, just kind of open to those teachings rather than feeling, you know, imposed upon or regimented or something. So that's okay. I was looking at some of my death poems. You know, we're supposed to write a death poem every year. And I, I noticed that just about all of them, there's a little, a little tinge, a little touch of sadness there. A little kind of autumnal feeling, which maybe that's not inappropriate. But when composing a death poem or you know, contemplating another birthday, at least at my age, maybe it's, it's okay if a little bit of uh, kind of what if happens. What if I'd, or if I'd only that sort of thing. And then if you can uh, maybe uh, you can kind of turn it into a poem, it won't have a kind of a toxic quality. Uh, towards the end of my father's life, he was he was doing that a lot, and it definitely got very toxic. So I I don't want to go that route. So instead, I will, um, much as I can, I will keep. Returning to the Zendo and walking quietly and sitting down uh, with you all and just watching who's there. Sitting at the remarkable source. with all of you guys. Okay, well, I see the cupcake sitting over there waiting to be presented. But in the meantime, if anyone has a question or a comment, please.
send up a flag. Reverend Mio, can you repeat those two lines? Oh, from the, the Dogen's essay? Yes, please. Gosh, I don't know. Let me see. I'll try. Uh, As all things are Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, birth and death, Buddhas and sentient beings. That's one. Two. As the myriad things are without abiding self, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddhas, no sentient beings, no birth and death. Three. Buddha's way is essentially leaping free of the one and the many. Therefore, there is delusion and realization, birth and death, sentient beings, and Buddhas. And then the footnote. However, flowers fall with our attachment and weeds proliferate with our dislike. Okay. Thank you. It's right there at the beginning of um, you know, Genjo Koan, or as it's called in English, actualizing the fundamental point. Actualizing the fundamental point. Thank you very much. Uh, perhaps it's, I think it's his finest essay. Uh, Dr. Jivachandra, did I see a hand? I did. Yeah, I when so you know, I, the, my experience of uh, myself lately and of, of you know many other people is that there's some very sort of uh, predictable uh, repetitions and, and patterns in the way that that people will behave or that their thoughts will move. Uh, and you know what can look at them and think that they can be changed, and you know maybe they can a little bit, but my sense is usually it's not all that much. Uh, so how how does that relate to this idea of a a permanent uh, a permanent fixed self that that we're not supposed to be able to find when we look? Mm -hmm. Well, um, Repetitious phenomena in this body-mind are perhaps the basis for the assumption that there is a permanent critter in there. However, uh, Buddha did make a pretty good case for saying that you, you cannot find that person. Just maybe you'll see this or that re repetitious phenomenon, but there is no permanent person there to carry that. 
all there is is these repetitious phenomena. And that cannot constitute a self. Except in the most, you know, mechanical fashion. Ontologically, there is no stuff there. So a habit does not a person make. And uh, in my experience, to the degree that one begins to see that that is so, this, the um, collection of uh, patterns begins to slip and slide. And it turns out, gee, they're not graven in stone at all. But if you think they are, then, well, that may be how the world looks. But I don't think you think they are. How are you going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen Paris? And you've seen Paris, so sorry. In fact, you used to live there. Okay, um, I don't mean for this to be unfriendly, and I feel like I'm always accusing Dogen of being cranky, but I feel cranky. Um, a lot of this is bringing up um, just so much of this stuff, like the, the walking with the balls of the feet first, and like this uh, it's not a polarity but these things of like control and relaxation and very often for me i walk into these zen environments and it's just seething with this aspect of hyper vigilant control and just this desire to completely do everything perfect i'm not gonna fuck anything up damn right this is all going exactly how i want i'm not going to be angry i'm not going to like do any of this stuff i'm going to be equanimous and oh it's all gonna you know you know whatever bullshit you want um so um like there's and then like the popular conception is this very relaxed like you know water trickling sort of thing and that sense of like, you know, I went to a tea ceremony money once and I was horribly uncomfortable. Part, part of it is like, you know, how I sit or my body or postures or things like that. Like culturally, it just did not translate as relaxing to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, po- this sense of like sitting and allowing things to come up, if I'm in the midst of ravenous grasping control um, I don't imagine, <laughs> you know, the things sort of falling away in the midst of that. And how do you see these different 
how how do how how do we you know I don't think you can cultivate relaxation relaxation. How how do we you know present ourselves to just be there, letting the stuff fall away. In the midst of all these things, that can be so uh, challenging. Like that, I'll just do this last bit and I'll stop. Like the 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 piece about like walking on the floor. It's like, why is it that if my foot makes a sound, that that is somehow kind of the the implication to me is like that's impinging on someone else's space. I'm here. Like this person has a right to be here as much as I do. Why, why is there, you know, why are we not, you know, sort of celebrating the sound of people walking together? Why um, w- this sense of invisibility or whatnot? So I'll stop. Yeah, well, uh, that's quite a chunk there. Um, that, uh, that bit about, uh, well, I'm going to, well, I'm going to get this right. And I'm just going to do this perfectly or, you know, come hell or high water, I tried that for quite a while and failed. And that occasioned a good bit of misery uh, until I pretty much gave up and just, you know, like they say, one day at a time, finally, one step at a time. Just like, you know what, why don't I just kind of do what they say and see how it goes? And why don't I do, why don't I stop trying to relax? And you know, every time I just sit there and see what happens. And maybe what happens is not my idea of relaxation. It's like, well, all right, it's too bad. How about just sitting there is a way of actually surrendering my agendas? And it turned out to be so from my point of view. In terms of, you know, why can't we just, you know, make joyful noise when we walk into Zendo? Well, uh, there are places where that's certainly possible, uh, you know, even encouraged. And if that's helpful to people, I'm sure Shakyamuni Buddha would say, go for it. But for those of us in the, in the kind of, the, the kind of crudely muscular West, it's actually pretty helpful to learn a subtler way of moving in the world, that's all. But it does not have a moral, morally superior valence. It does not. And I know sometimes it's presented as if it did, but it does not. It's just another kind of exercise and one that I found helpful. But finding it helpful is not, you know, you can't force that on someone else. So is there some more dialogue we'd like to have on that? I mean, it's okay. It's a, you know, a big topic you introduced. 
and a worthy one, but it's a little difficult to compass that in a short amount of time. But I would say, once again, finally, there, there is something deeply peaceful about just sitting and watching what happens. So I, I tend to, you know, promote that. <laughs> Anyway, I'm happy to talk with you further. Uh, Jonathan. Uh, thank you. I, just, I appreciated Chris's um, question and made me laugh too. Yeah. And which I think is healthy. Yes, quite. <laughs> because, um, well, honestly, I wonder about that myself because uh, I don't think it's the intention of these forms to come across that way, but I think in fact they do oftentimes, or that, that can happen in Zen practice places. I just, the thing that brought to mind for me is the second fetter that you mentioned. It seems that it's not that the forms in themselves are bad, I don't think they are, but I think that it seems to be pretty easy to get caught up in them in the way that's kind of doing what that second fetter is saying not to do. Yeah. For some of us, that may be inevitable. And it was inevitable for me. And I thought that actually, uh, you know, as I said, my, my teacher likes to say, uh, you know, doing stuff the specific way in the Zendo, that way is arbitrary. But that there is a specific way is not arbitrary. That there is a specific way is training for the body-mind. And that seems to go way, way, way back in our history. But that it's that particular way of walking or sitting, that's arbitrary. But for us to step into that kind of training is not arbitrary and, and seems to do something to us. I but I was very attached to it. No, 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 that way. No, no, that's wrong. That's bad. That's the way. You know, and I did that. And sometimes I fall into that still. I'm embarrassed to say. But that's not what was intended. Did you want to say more? Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it seems like that's an important awareness to have. It is. And um, I don't know, I kind of hesitate to say this, but I guess this is just my opinion, of course, but and I don't mean to sound judgmental, but I probably will. <laughs> Maybe I am being judgmental, in which case I'm sorry. But I practiced with someone at Zen Center who did all these things perfectly. And in my opinion, he's one of the worst human beings I've ever met. <laughs> so first, that's my opinion. That's my judgment. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, something's not quite right there. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, so one day at a time, I keep saying, and I, I was fortunate in that my teacher caught me at it. 
And uh, if, if there hadn't been such a person to catch me at it, well, I don't know what would happen. Well, I apologize for my judgment. Sorry. <laughs> well, maybe we'd like to present our cupcake now and uh, and then um, you know we'll make a joyful noise unto the Lord, as the psalmist says. That okay for now? Thank you very much.